0: Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks, well, welcome to the Dr. Louis Hannibal Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome to the clinic. We want to talk about our health, want to talk about our mental health, our spiritual health, and our physical health. Today's show is an interesting one. Um, you know, a lot of people working in deliverance ministry, people have come up with a whole lot of questions about exorcism and what is exorcism and how can I get involved with it? Can a lay person perform exorcisms? Is that possible or not? You know, gosh, if my family member's doing this. Or can I do my, can I do a spell? Can, I'm just going to do white magic. It's not that big a deal. I can just do a quick white magic. I know it's going to help them. And why does the church say no? Why, why do we say that we're not going to do that? <clears throat> it's a very interesting, interesting topic. And one of the things that I decided is there's a whole lot of questions and there's some answers that we know just off the top of our head. You know, if, when you're working in deliverance, it just becomes innate. You just understand it. You say, no, that doesn't work. Yes, this does. Uh, how do you know that? After a while, you just kind of say, "Well, that's just how it is." Um, but I thought it would be interesting to say, "Let's get to the core of it." And and I found this really interesting article. I was doing a little bit of research, really, really interesting article because it's actually not even an article. It's coming directly from the USCCB. So that's the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. If you go on their website, they actually have a very specific article or a very specific um, <clears throat> piece on exorcism. This is coming from the USCCB. So. A few things that I found interesting about that, we'll talk about. But why don't we go ahead and start off with some prayers here at the top of the noon hour. It's time for the Angelus. Um, We'll start with that. And of course, a prayer to St. Michael. Since we're going to talk about exorcisms, always good to have that spiritual protection from Our Lady, from St. Michael, and of course, from Jesus Christ himself and God to protect us. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray unto thou, Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God. Cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, folks, before anybody even thinks about it, and before we even realize it, the first thing I want to say before we get into this topic is you cannot underestimate the power of prayer. Right, people all of a sudden think, ah, oh, prayers for little kids, prayers for, you know, when your guardian angel's there, prayers for when you're when you're little and you're going to go make your first communion. Somehow we grow up and we kind of start thinking that prayer, eh, you know, it's something soft for old ladies to pray the rosary at, at church. That's nice. Or we tell somebody to pray for us and, eh, we take it softly. Even better, we go to confession and eh, Father only asked me to pray in Our Father. It must not have been that bad. So, You know what? We don't even understand the power of prayer. One thing that I always think about is when we go to the, uh, or when we look at the gospels, and there's those gospels where our Lord went into villages and he was not even able to perform miracles because the people didn't have faith. I think that if we pray without faith, without expecting something to happen, eh, we see prayer is very soft. But if we really use prayer the way it's supposed to be used, we would say a prayer and we would say, Watch out, something's going to happen almost like hey if i do this there's going to be an earthquake something's going to happen why do i mention this because if we're going to talk about exorcisms a lot of the times what happens is people come for exorcisms and they think that the priest is going to do some kind of a magic spell or that the priest's prayers are what's going to you know really clear their lives of anything evil and the reality is they don't want to pray themselves they they just kind of come for pain control you know i don't want to feel this evil in my life it's causing me pain can you please just get rid of it but i want to keep living a sinful life or a life that's not in conjunction with the Catholic church. Yeah, is that okay? No, it's never going to work that way. Really. The, the priest is just there to kind of watch over the person is hopefully the person starts to pray more. Yes. Is the priest going to say prayers? Yeah. That's about 5% of the influence that, that's going to happen during an exorcism. It's really up to the person to choose Christ. That's the bottom line. We got to look at the gospels. We got to look at how our spirituality works and whenever Christ performed a miracle, because if you want to look at it that way, we can think of miracles as something that's extraordinary. For God, miracles are every day. He's like, well, this is just what I do. You guys call it miracles. It's just what I do. But for an exorcism to be efficacious, we say, whoa, the devil got blown away, thrown thrown out of there. You know, there was this person's free of the devil's influence. That's huge, right? But yeah, but to God, he says, that happened. I can do that all the time. It's not that big a deal. But the problem is that you have to have faith in me. That's where the issue comes in. Once you have that faith, I can do it. If you don't have faith, I can't do it. The power of prayer, do we put faith in our prayer that God can actually make something happen in our lives? That's going to be the first thing we need to think about as we go through this discussion today. One of the things I thought was really interesting, people, like I was saying earlier, people ask us questions all the time, you know, in deliverance ministry, how do I do this? How do I do that? And we have this distorted view of what exorcisms are sometimes, or we feel like we need an exorcism in our life when the majority of people really don't. What we really need to do is get to a life of prayer, and that's going to be enough to drive out any evil in our lives, right? But I thought it would be interesting to see this, and I found this to be very fascinating because this is an article coming from the USCCB, the bishops. Why is that important? Because the bishops by default, by nature of them being bishops, are the exorcists. Every bishop is the exorcist of their diocese. The priest who we say, oh, that's the exorcist priest. It's only because they got the faculties from the bishop. Once somebody's ordained a bishop, they have full faculties. They automatically become exorcists. There's no such thing as a bishop saying, oh no, I can't do exorcisms or I'm not. No, they are the exorcist by default. There's no question about it. They're a walking exorcist. Every bishop is. There's no question about, oh, is he appointed or not? No, that's just what it is. The same way that he's a bishop, he is an exorcist no question about it. No different than a priest who you say, oh yeah, that's a priest. He's a confessor or he can, he can say mass. Yeah. By default. All right. That's just what it is. Now priests who are not bishops are not by default exorcists. Why? Because the bishop has not maybe conferred that power to them. This is where we get metaphysical. This is where we get spiritual. The bishop has to say, he has to say the words, just like the priest has to say the words to, to make the bread and the wine, transubstantiate into the body and blood of christ he has to say the words I want. he does that as soon as he says that intention as soon as he says those words that changes something happens it's the same thing with the bishop the bishop has the power but as soon as he says to the priest i let you borrow my power that priest automatically has the same power it's pretty interesting spiritually speaking right well once that priest has that power he can perform the duties of the bishop in fact, that's what happens a lot of times in churches, not just with the exorcisms, but with confirmations. The bishop is the proper person to do the confirmations for a congregation, for new um, for new people coming into the church or you know, baptisms on Easter or confirmations for, for anybody who's going to be confirmed. But sometimes they'll say, I'll give my priest the power to uh, do that, to, to go ahead and do confirmations. So now the priest has that just by the very nature of the bishop saying that. A few years ago, the Pope said, hey, I give... All the priests the power to forgive uh, abortions or higher sins. There's some sins that were only allowed for bishops to forgive. But the Pope said, hey, everybody can do that. We don't, you don't need to get to the bishop. Anyway, this is an important article because on a few different levels, one, exorcism, sometimes in the church, we'll find that there's some, some of our prelates, some of our priests, some of our bishops are uncomfortable with the topic or they say, oh, it doesn't exist. The devil doesn't exist. Or, you know, ah, that's not for real. You don't need that. Well, I love the fact that this is on the Catholic bishops of the United States website. They actually talk about exorcism. There's no denying it then. It's official. There's no question about it. There's no, if a bishop tells you, hey, you know, I don't believe in exorcism, say then why is it on the USCCB website? Why, you know, if a priest tells you that, say, well, I don't know, all the bishops of the US actually agree with us because it's on their website. Or if they don't agree, they've made it official on their website. That's important to consider. So one thing to consider, is exorcism real? Yes. If you're going to listen to uh different people and ask who say no demonic influence isn't real we're not nope even the bishops it, so you can find that on their website and let's just read the introduction really quickly and it goes through some questions and, and i think there's some questions that are more interesting than others some are very obvious but i think it'll be important to go through these questions because it'll answer a lot of things demystify a lot of things when people ask. A lot of people want to know about the, you know, what happens during exorcism? Does the devil have this power, that power? What are the persons doing this? I like this because this is a much more academic approach of, hey, this is just what exorcism is. We're not going to worry about all the frilly stuff or all the ooh ah stuff, but it's just much more basic in saying, well, what do the bishops say about this, since they are the actual exorcists? The introduction says this, the Latin Church bishops of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops approved the English translation of the exorcismis et supplicabionibus. Uh, quibusdam, sorry, I couldn't read as Latin, uh, meaning that they, made, they approved a new text on exorcism. The final text, Exorcisms and Related Supplications, was confirmed by the Holy See December 2016 and implemented in the Diocese of the United States as of June 29th, 2017. So it's just talking about how they actually do have a book, a rubric on exorcism. In the course of the approval process, a list of frequently asked questions on exorcism and its use in the church liturgical life was developed by the Secretariat of Divine Worship. Answers were provided by specialists in this ministry and by experts in canon law. What I like about this is that it's not hocus pocus. It's official it's academic, canon law, experts in the field, the secretary of divine worship. This is the real deal. It's official. It's not something that we're just making up. That's very important to consider and great to consider the fact that the bishops actually put this out because then you realize, hey, exorcism is real and the text is an official text. This is going to become important when we talk about the ins and outs of exorcism because a lot of people think some of it is real, some of it is magical, but this is very real. More about that when we come back from the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today we are talking about exorcisms, but not in a way uh, that we normally talk about in terms of what's the devil doing here or there. What I really want to hear about is what do the bishops have to say? And I found this interesting article from the USCCB, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, as far as what exorcism is. And I love the fact that they put it out. Before the break, I was talking uh, about, I was reading the introduction and just talking about how they specifically said you know they came with this article and they had these questions that they wanted to answer but they did it and it was developed by the Secretariat of divine worship and the answers were provided by specialists in the ministry and by experts in canon law i think that that is so good because they're going to make it official listen to the next paragraph of the introduction the last paragraph here since so much of the common perception of the nature and application of exorcism is shaped by the exaggerations of movie scripts and television programs The Committee on Divine Worship has approved dissemination of these basic questions and answers in hopes that clear information is brought to bear on a topic that is often shrouded in mystery or misinformation. I love that. The bishops put this out for the right reasons. They said, look, Hollywood's taken over. We hear things, we see things, and we believe our our knowledge of exorcism actually comes from these movies, from scripts, from exaggerations, and it really scandalizes people right? It's a scandal because we're lying about something that's very important and actually very simple and not so dramatic. You know, people, it's going to just scare people a lot. When in reality, it can become a more everyday thing. And if people ignored half of the stuff that was going on, they wouldn't be in problems. But our nature is to be curious, right? Oh, I think I'm getting, you know, visions from heaven. I think I'm hearing things from heaven. No, you got to ignore that. You got to know, how how do you know you're getting things from heaven? If it's really our lady who's appearing to you, it'll happen. But for the most part, we have to ignore all mystical phenomenon because all of a sudden we can get curious and easily duped and tricked. And that's what the bishops are saying here. They're saying, hey, we're going to put this out and we're going to do it by approved question and answers in order to clarify and bring clarity to a topic that is shrouded in mystery or misinformation. One of the things that you're going to notice when you're dealing with the occult, as soon as you bring it to light, they go away. You bring it to light you, you you notice you know somebody who's influenced by it and you tell them oh yeah this could be something demonic or yeah you just need to pray or look this is what it is they get really scared and go away would you understand about how come somebody can be possessed and they're praying or they don't go away that's a different story that person we got to ask ourselves what do they do in their lives or what's going on in their lives that got them to that point it doesn't just happen overnight but if it's something simple where i feel like oh i'm being oppressed i feel something's bothering me if i sit down and pray and i realize hey Something's trying to influence my life in a bad way. I'm going to put my life in the correct path. They're going to get scared and go away. So let's go through some of these questions. These are actually very interesting questions and and they're very basic. and And I like that because it really demystifies what exorcism is. It really makes it so that, hey, this is very basic, straightforward. It's a procedure and it's something that's going to help you in your spiritual life. The first question is, what is an exorcism? Very straightforward answer. Exorcism is a specific form of prayer that the church uses against the power of the devil. That's all they say. Now, specific form of prayer, what I really wanted them to emphasize is that it's a sacramental, and they do that in the next in the next uh, paragraph here, because it's important to, to specify that. What's the difference between an exorcism and the sacrament of penance? This is huge, huge question. A lot of people wanna come in and say, I need an exorcism, when all you tell them is you just need to go to confession. Now notice, sadly, we say you just need to go to confession. What we really say is you only need to go to confession because confession is going to take care of it. But what's the difference? This is what they say. Exorcism is a prayer that falls in the category of sacramentals. That is one of a number of sacred signs instituted by the church to sanctify different circumstances of life, thus varying from the seven sacraments of the church, which were instituted by Christ himself. The sacrament of penance forgives our sins and reconciles us to the church, Renewing baptism and bestowing grace to fight evil and grow in virtue. As a sacramental exorcism prepares one for the grace of the sacrament. So, this is an important distinction to make. This is a huge distinction to make because a lot of people just want to run and say, I need the exorcism. Why? Because we've seen what it is in Hollywood. They've made it seem like it's way more powerful when the reality is confession is where the power is at. Again, let's look at the distinction confession is a sacrament instituted by Christ himself. Sacramentals, of which exorcism is one, a sacramental was instituted by the church, meaning the priests have approved of this, the bishops approved this, the Pope approved of it, just to be a sign and something to get us ready for confession. So it's actually the first step towards confession. If you just go do a good confession, you're going to eliminate all the need for exorcisms or uh, any deliverance in your life. The sacrament of confession is itself a deliverance prayer. It's, it's a much stronger deliverance. It's a much stronger than any exorcism. And any exorcist will tell you that. They will tell you one confession is worth a myriad of exorcisms. Why? Because let's look again what what uh, the sacrament, sacrament of confession does. It forgives our sins. <clears throat> exorcism doesn't forgive your sins at all. In fact, a lot of people want to come for an exorcism and continue to live a life of sin. They just don't want to be in pain doing it. They don't want to have any negative influence doing it, but it doesn't forgive your sins. You're still carrying the sins. You could get rid of the devil, but still carry the sins. So confession actually gets rid of the sin itself and reconciles us to the church by forgiving the sins. It renews our baptism. No, we're not baptized. There's only one baptism, but it renews us. It puts us back into the baptismal state and it bestows the grace to fight evil and grow in virtue. Exorcism does nothing of that. The only thing exorcism does is it removes the evil influence in our life so that we can hopefully go receive the sacraments, right? That's the big difference. That's a huge difference. People don't see that though because we are influenced by Hollywood. We are influenced by music we hear. We are influenced by all these sensationalism and we kind of want that sensational aspect. We want to see what the devil can do instead of seeing what we can do in a state of grace. That's going to be the important part. That was a great great question. I love the way that they answered it. Here's an important question then. So if I say, gosh, just go to confession, the next question is, why does the church need exorcisms? What's the point if I can just go to confession? This is what they say. There are instances when a person needs to be protected against the power of the devil or to be withdrawn from his spiritual dominion. At such times, the church asks publicly and authoritatively in the name of Jesus Christ for this protection or liberation through the use of exorcism. So what does that mean? Again, If a person's gotten to the point where they are possessed or they are fully influenced by the devil, that person's being influenced. Notice not everybody else in the room is being influenced by that. They could be depending on how they show up to the exorcism, but not everybody else is being influenced by that. But if one person's being influenced spiritually in that direction and the devil's got such a hold on them that they're not letting them think clearly, they're not letting them feel clearly, they're not letting them get to the sacraments because the person's going to be influenced by that, then we need that exorcism. We say, gosh, yeah, the sacrament's much more important, but the devil's putting a roadblock to this person even wanting to get that sacrament or being able to present themselves to church. Let's get rid of the roadblock so that the real spiritual healing can happen in confession. Keep in mind, this is just a roadblock that the devil's putting on. It says uh, that this is the person needs to be protected against the power of the devil or to be withdrawn from his spiritual dominion. They don't mind those words, spiritual dominion. They're being dominated by the devil at this point. That's why you need the exorcism. Mean, you gotta get rid of that dominion so that you can go receive those sacraments it's very simple common all the time you can get rid of that dominion you can do the exorcism remove the devil from the devil's influence from this person but if the person doesn't change their life back to the life of the sacraments devil can come back right away we see that in the gospels right person was delivered from a demon but didn't change his life his house was empty his soul was empty didn't fill it with christ didn't go get those sacraments the devil said hey let me come back and bring some more friends now it's even worse because now the devil says, hey, this person's weak, right? I can actually go do that. They didn't go and they didn't take advantage of the fact that the roadblock wasn't there. They didn't take advantage and go to confession and communion. Eh, I can take over. This person's weak. That's who the devil's going to prey on anyway, on the spiritually weak. Why would they go up against somebody who's even trying to live a spiritual life? That's, we, we don't appreciate how powerful that is. Even the smallest influence where I say, you know what, maybe I should try. As soon as we start thinking that way, now the devil's freaked out but we don't think that way. We just think, oh, God doesn't love me. And God doesn't, we lie to ourselves and the devil's like, Hey, you're lying to yourself. You're an open target. That's wonderful. That's perfect. Lie to yourself because then I can work. But as soon as we start thinking, maybe God does love me. Even that, maybe God's going to just get in there, work through his grace. That devil's going to want to get out of there. No question about it. Here's an important question because a lot of people will tell you, ah, Catholics, you guys don't even follow the Bible. This is huge. I I like the way that the bishop said this. Whoever put this together was really thinking and asking the right questions. Is there a script scriptural basis for exorcism? Of course, this one's pretty easy. We know this. It's all over the gospels. We see that demons were being expelled by Jesus. So is there a scriptural basis? Of course. But we want to have this at our hands when people say, gosh, you guys don't even follow the Bible. Why would I believe anything? You Say, well, let's look at the script scriptural basis. This says, while the basis for exorcism is grounded in the ministry of Jesus Christ, And and it's got a few scriptures here. So Mark chapter one, verse 34 and 39. Luke chapter four, verse 35. Matthew chapter 17, verse 18. Remember, we're going to put these, uh, I'm going to put this link here in the show. There is no scriptural basis for a formal rite of exorcism, which is true. So we got to look at that. People are going to say, oh, I just need to use the name of Jesus Christ. Why are you using these prayers? They're not in the Bible. But it says there's no scriptural basis for the formal rite of exorcism, apart from the use of the Psalms and the gospel periscopes that were included in the rite of exorcism as it as it evolved. So we've used the scriptures in our rite. What is clear, however, is that the Lord Jesus invoked the disciples in his mission through their commissioning, continued the exorcist work begun by Jesus himself. So Jesus told them that. He said, keep on working. And again, there's plenty of scriptural uh, references here. <clears throat> it was not a work that they did. In their own names, but in the name of the one Jesus who has bestowed it upon them. Thus, the ministry of exorcism continues in the life of the church as part of the regular pastoral care of soul, souls. So, maybe our formal right is not in the, in the gospels themselves, but the mission to expel demons is there's no, there's no way of getting around it. Now, a lot of priests are going to tell you, oh, you know, what, what Jesus really meant was it was mental illness or epilepsy, it wasn't, there's no reality of a devil. I would not listen to that at all. Let me tell you, I've seen it. I've been there at exorcisms. You see the real influence of, of the demonic. And why would I not listen to what Christ said? You know, Christ, is te- Christ himself is telling his apostles to get rid of demons and heal. So of course, there has to be something there. Of course, I'm gonna listen to that. Is there a scriptural basis? Yes, plenty of scriptural basis. It's very obvious. Here's another thing that's important. A lot of times we wonder, you know, is there a need for exorcism? Gosh, we've, we've moved on for that. We, we don't need it. We're in our modern world. We don't worry about the devil anymore. That It's not going to be an influence in our everyday lives. Why would we even care about that? Well, here's what I would say. If we're going to follow Jesus Christ, if we're going to follow the Gospels of Christ, if we're going to follow the Catholic Church as Christ left it for us, it's best to go back to the beginning, right? It's best to go back to how did Jesus leave it, So that i can understand christ we read the gospels not because they're new or modern they haven't changed it's the same gospels all the time and we go back to those original gospels to get the truth of it this is important to consider too well right after the gospels did everybody say hey you know we've evolved from that we don't need that no here's a question do the fathers of the church refer to exorcisms in their writings several of the fathers of the church including irenaeus tertullian Cyprian and Athanasius provide us with the insight into the exorcist practices of their day through their extant writings. Through them, we gain a glimpse into the unfolding developments in the structure and form of exorcism as a as a rite gradually took shape. In addition to the use of Jesus' name, other elements contributed to the shape of an early ritual, such as the sign of the cross, issuflation, simple adjurations containing scripture, prayer, and fasting it is important to consider because right after jesus went up to heaven the saints the fathers of the church who were right after he came you know who have the, the fullness of the faith right there and are really psyched up they were performing exorcism it's something we need to look into and realize in a modern world there's always going to be a need for the truth more after the break All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today we're talking about what do the bishops say about exorcisms? What do they tell us an exorcism is and what is their thought process? I'm going through an article here on the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops website where it specifically directly talks about exorcism. I love the fact that they put this out because they are the proper exorcists. They're the proper exorcists of every diocese. Every bishop in the diocese is the exorcist. There's no such thing as saying, oh, wow, our diocese doesn't have an exorcist. Nope. Whatever diocese you're in, who's your bishop is what I would ask. That's your exorcist. Now, has he appointed a priest to be his designated exorcist so so he can go around and, and help out because the bishop might be too busy or have too many administrative tasks or whatnot? Perhaps. Sure. Why not? But you can't say that you have a diocese without an exorcist. Every bishop when you look at the College of Cardinals, every one of those is an exorcist. When you see that they're going to vote for a new pope and they're sitting there in the uh, Sistine chapel, you got a room full of exorcists in there. There's no question about it. All right. Since we are talking about this, let's go ahead and say a prayer to St. Michael for a little extra spiritual protection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do Thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host. By the power of God. Cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, before the break, we were talking about, you know, how do we know that we still need exorcisms in our lives? You know, a lot of times people say, oh, our, church is, our, our world is too modern now. That stuff doesn't exist. That goes by the wayside. In fact, for a while, the Catholic Church was actually almost embarrassed about the idea of exorcisms or the idea of demons being real um and they let it go by the wayside gosh much to the chagrin much to the chagrin of the faithful but much to the happiness of the demonic why not right it used to be said that the devil's greatest lie his greatest trick was to get you to believe he didn't exist well maybe the catholic church bought into that for a little while and said oh exorcism has gone by the wayside it's almost embarrassing but nowadays i say nope that's not why is it coming back in favor why is this on the bishop's website? I think now the devil's got a little bit of a different plan. It's not so long, It's not so much, hey, I don't exist. I think now it's, hey, I exist, but I'm the good guy. That's a very tricky, tricky position to be in because now people's minds are going to be warped. So this is important to consider. Do we still need exorcisms? The question was, do the fathers of the church refer to exorcisms in their writings? Absolutely, they do. This mentions that St. Uh, Tertullian, Cyprian, Athanasius, all of them influenced uh, wrote about this. And why is that important to us? Because if those closest to the time of Christ followed this, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't. It means that that's actually the truth. We want to get better to the source, closer to the source, what was happening around the time of Christ and shortly thereafter, after his ascension. We want to get close to that source to figure out what I should still be doing because human nature doesn't change. We unfortunately sometimes equate our spirituality, our faith with technology, and there's two very separate things. Technology, people say, oh, research, we've learned more. We know more about diseases now. We know more about technology. In fact, geez, Dr. Sandoval, you're using a lot of technology to even do this show. That's great. Technology evolves, right? We've got the internet now. We've got a whole lot of computers and gadgets and different things. Our faith, however, cannot cannot evolve in the same way. It can only devolve. It can only get washed out if we don't go back to the source. Our faith is always gonna be strongest at the source it's going to be strongest at the words of christ himself and shortly thereafter it's just like us we experience this all the time we go to church we get inspired we want to lead a good life and we get really inspired and say i'm going to read about the saints every day i'm going to be such a good catholic every day i'm going to do this and all of a sudden yeah it kind of goes by the wayside well technology is not us that happens to us all the time physically gosh it's a new new year i'm going to work out for sure i'm going to be in great shape and eh, we get inspired for the moment and goes by the wayside but in that moment, that's where we got to get back to that initial moment where that inspiration was, and that's what we got to get back to the origins, to Christ, to the fathers of the church. <clears throat> Here's an interesting question: Are there different kinds of exorcism? Well, depends, right? So we can go to a lot of people. It depends on who you talk to. A lot of people will say, "Well, I'm going to go over to this person over here. She's a very holy lady, and she does the exorcisms." Or I go to my psychic, or I go get my cards read by a psych, you know, by a medium or something, and they're very, you know, they can actually perform these things. Well. First of all, the only person who should be performing exorcism is a priest or a bishop. That's all there is to it. The other thing to consider is, are there different kinds of exorcisms? Yes, there are. It says exorcisms are divided into two kinds or two forms. Simple or minor form of exorcisms are found in two places. For those preparing for baptism, the rite of the Christian initiation of adults, and the rite of baptism for children, they both call for minor exorcisms, right? <clears throat> so when you go baptize your child, believe it or not, if you listen to the words, there's a minor exorcism involved. There's an exorcism involved when we're doing the baptism. Why? Because as we're bringing somebody into the church, we got to make sure that they come in pure and no demonic forces are on them. And we got to know who we're bringing in. And this we think of with babies. And you say, well, what kind of demonic forces could possibly in there? Well, think about it this way. What about for adults? All of a sudden we have the Easter vigil and we're bringing in people who were going through the RCIA and people who learned from the RCIA and What kind of influences have they had in their lives? Guess what? There is an exorcism that is performed there. Um, Secondly, it says that the appendix of exorcisms and related supplications includes a series of prayers which may may be used by the faithful. Minor exorcisms, right? It means that lay people can use these. Anybody can use these. It's not that big a deal. For any of our listeners, I'm sure you've heard of the book on uh, uh, Deliverance Prayers for the Laity that Father Ripperger has put out. Anybody can use those. So they're deliverance prayers. We call it a minor exorcism. It's not the the full rite of the exorcism. So that's the second kind. So the first kind is the minor one. The second one, it says the second kind is a solemn or a major exorcism, which is a rite that can only be performed by a bishop or priest. I like this. The bishops are telling you straightforward, this is what they do. And in fact, it's from canon law. It's canon law, canon 1172. It says, this form is directed at the expulsion of demons, Or the liberation of a person from demonic possession and that's from the catechism of the church so you can look at it in canon law you can look at it in the catechism of the church canon law is 1172 catechism of the catholic church 1673 it's official the church believes in this don't let anybody tell you differently i love that i I love that about this article because then it's straightforward any priest who tells you otherwise they're going against their own bishops right they're against the council of bishops so let's see here There's some important questions here. There was one that I was looking at. Ah, here's a here's an important one. How frequently is a major exorcism performed? Remember, the major one is now the one performed by the priest, the one that Hollywood has turned into a bit of a circus. Now, can those things happen? Yeah. As often as they say in Hollywood, no. It doesn't always happen that way. In fact, the majority of the time, you won't see half of the stuff they put on there. Very, very rare. But here's a good question. How often should you perform it? Because in Hollywood, it seems like you go in one time, you duke it out for hours, and then when you finish it up, hey, everything's done, right? Well, let's see what they have to say about this. They say, the frequency of exorcisms of this sort is determined by the credible need for the right. That is why establishing a diocesan protocol is important. Through the centuries, the churches moved cautiously when evaluating alleged cases of demonic possession. The reason for this is not to deny access to the members of the faithful who are in genuine need. However, the church is equally concerned that individuals not get caught up in a sensationalist mentality and thus create a kind of sideshow affair. Happens all the time. Although rare, genuine cases of demonic possession should be addressed in a balanced manner with the utmost care being extended to the afflicted person. All right. It didn't exactly answer the question is how frequently and the reason it didn't because people might say, oh, every month, every two, every two weeks. It just depends. It just depends. And I would say talk to an experienced exorcist to find out, hey, if somebody truly is influenced, how often do they need it? The first thing I would say is let's find out if they really are influenced. A lot of people want to be influenced. A lot of people want that sensationalism or a lot of their friends want to be there and say, I'll I'll assist at the exorcism. I'll be there for them. Why do they do that? Because they want to see something. They want to see something happen. They want a little bit of the Hollywood magic. They want to say, yeah, I was there and I totally saw them levitate or I saw them do this funky thing with their arm. Whatever it is, we get curious and that's the worst reason to be at an exorcism. All of a sudden, the devil's got you there. If that's what you're going for, the devil's got you. Why should you be at an exorcism then? I want to see the power of the church work and I want to see grace work in somebody's life. Not because I want to see what the, I don't want to see the circus show that the demon's going to put on. I want to see the true power of God working in our lives so that maybe I can be influenced as well, or I can help them, and hopefully my life will be transformed to Christ. If you come with that attitude, that's already the right way to go. If you're coming in with a curiosity of, ooh, what happened? What did they say? Did they speak in tongues? Did they do this or that? You're already putting yourself in danger. No question about it. How frequently should it be performed? It depends. You know, people come in and some people are very heavily influenced. Does that mean that you do it once a week? No, that would be a disservice to the whole team. I've seen, I've seen strange things happen when people are like, oh my gosh, this is an emergency. This is like an ICU case. This is like emergency room. We need to get this right away. First of all, no matter how bad it is, no matter what is being displayed, there are no emergencies. Once you start treating something like that, uh, say demonic influence, like an emergency, you're already going down the the wrong path. Why would you say that, Dr. Sandoval? This is the devil working in somebody's life. Well, my question is just because you think the devil is having influence, does that mean God is not there? Does that mean that god doesn't have an influence no this is where we need to switch our mentality in fact the person being influenced needs to focus on god again needs to focus on christ working in their lives and how they're going to move towards christ it's never an emergency there's no such thing as an emergency any experienced exorcist will tell you that they'll say hey i got a phone call yeah oh they're manifesting right now okay well call me when the manifest manifestations are done god's in charge here not anybody else right oh my goodness, you let this person die. No, God's in charge of the exorcism. God's in charge of everything going, going away. And in fact, if the person is manifesting, how's the exorcist going to even get to know them or find out if it's real or not real? This is where we've got to be very cautious. If you listen to somebody like Father Ripperger, who's a very experienced uh, exorcist, he'll tell you in an emergency situation, maybe once a month, you know, the person has to put in their own life. If you, If you're in a situation where you find that you know, the deliverance team or that your friends are going after this person saying, oh, you got to come back. You got to come here. You got to make sure because of this or that. It's not going to work. That's not going to work out for you. You're not going to, you know, you're, you're, you're chasing the person. If somebody's being influenced by the demonic, they're the ones who need to make that effort to get closer to Christ. Well, gee, Dr. Sandwell, what if the demons not letting them get closer to Christ? Well, are they praying? Are they trying to pray? Are they? Are, how much faith do they have? Where's the family members? Bring them to the priest. Let's see what we can do. But if you think that it's gonna happen overnight, it probably won't. It's just like going to the clinic, like going to a doctor. How often do you have to go to a doctor for a chronic condition? Well, you live with it, it can be painful. Sure, absolutely. But what are you doing to help yourself? You know, if you have something chronic like diabetes or something like that, you don't go to the doctor every week. You go every few weeks, you tweak the medication, but in between, you gotta be doing your own part. How often do you perform a major exorcism? It just depends. You gotta get rid of the sensationalism, just like this says. The church is concerned that we don't get caught up in that because then all of a sudden you're worried about that sideshow affair the exorcism is not going to be as if the person is afflicted pray a lot more more after the break all right well, welcome back to virgin most powerful radio you're listening to the dr Luis sandoval show today we're having an interesting conversation about the questions that were asked or answered shall i say by the bishops themselves on exorcism we're not talking about the influence of the devil we're not talking about what are the you know what are the phenomenon that we see in exorcism or the oohs and the ahs what we're talking about here is the actual united states conference of catholic bishops on their website has an article on what an exorcism is and like i was saying before in the show i love that because they are the actual exorcist every bishop is the exorcist you're if you're in a diocese look up who your bishops are the whether it be the the archbishop, the main bishop, the auxiliary bishop, as soon as you see the word bishop, they themselves are exorcists by the nature of their office. There's no question about it. Whether they perform exorcisms, whether they perform the sacramental, whether they themselves are the ones who go about doing it, that's up to them. They can designate a priest, meaning that they can actually transfer their power by the mental permission, by the verbal permission on paper to a priest, and the priest now has that power. Is that not miraculous enough? I mean, when we stop to think about it, you know, the priest comes in casually and says, oh yeah, the bishop gave me permission to do it. So I can I can be the exorcist for this case for you. I'll, I'll be your exorcist. Oh, you're the exorcist. Yeah, why? Because the bishop gave me permission. You know, a lot of times we think that it's like, oh, mom and dad gave me permission to go to, you know, the amusement park or something. Sure, we can we can think of it that way. We see how parents give their kids permission to do things and the kid has to say yes or no. In the same way, right? The kid, If the parent says no, the kid is going to get in trouble if they do it. The parent says yes okay you can do it because that means that i trust you i know what you're doing i i know that you know what you're doing and i trust you're going to do the right thing just keep in touch with me or let me know what's going on if i don't give you permission as a parent boy you're going to get in trouble right so it's the same thing but this is supernatural permission isn't that pretty awe-inspiring the bishop gives supernatural permission and now the priest has the same powers as the bishop but if the, if the bishop didn't give the priest those powers the priest might perform it on his own. He might do things in the name of Jesus Christ, but he's not going to have that protection. He's not going to have mom and so we say mom and dad's protection or permission to do this. Why? Because that's the way our spirituality works. We need to look at how powerful this is. Not the exorcism, but the power of grace and the power of the supernatural in our lives in a very positive way. We can't get caught up in, oh, all this negativity from the exorcism. We got to realize, boy, if that can happen, what's the power of the Eucharist? So if I go receive the Eucharist, if I go to confession, I'm actually getting mystical power from Jesus Christ, what we see as mystical, what Christ sees as normal, right? Aren't we all mystics when we receive the Eucharist? We can't leave it to the idea that, oh, only saints who have that title that they were mystics are mystical. No, we're all mystics. Every time we receive the Eucharist, it's a mystical moment. There's no question about it. It's how much faith do we have? So we were asking before the break, how often do these uh, exorcisms need to be performed? Again, it just depends on the person. Well, what if the person can't get to the exorcist, can't really do anything because they're so heavily influenced by the demonic or so we think? What can we do then? The reality is we can pray. We can't underestimate the power of prayer. I said at the beginning of the show, we need to think of prayer as a weapon. This is where we need to think like Catholics so that we can live like Catholics so that we can be Catholics. When we start thinking about how powerful prayer is, then we start understanding that. I actually don't need an exorcism. I can just pray for my friend. Now, what kind of prayers do we do? Do we start to do our own exorcism prayers? Do we start to say things? No, we can do minor exorcisms like we were talking about. We can look at deliverance prayers from the lady where we don't directly speak to any demons or anything along those lines, right? What we use are different prayers where we only ask God for help. We don't tell the demon to go away, we ask God to make the demon go away. So there's a a question here that's very important and talks on that topic. Let me see here. Um, And it was very important because it talks about the difference between not just minor and major exorcisms, but the difference between imprecatory and deprecatory prayers. Let me try to see if I can find that question. If not, we're gonna go to a different question uh, because that was very, very important. So actually, let's start with this one. Actually, this is a more interesting question, and we're going to get to the other one because it's going to lead to it. May an exorcism be performed without the recipient's permission? So let's say I need somebody's help, somebody needs help, and you think, man, they are really influenced by the demonic. I think they need an exorcism. Can the priest perform an exorcism anyway without their permission? Hmm, Let's see what the bishops say. That's interesting. It says, given the nature of the devil's working and the afflicted person's possible complicity in the resulting demonic possession, the exorcist should ascertain the person's consent if at all possible before proceeding with the right of major exorcism. So this gets a tricky area. So it doesn't say yes or no, but it does say that the exorcist should think about the person's consent, ascertain it if possible before proceeding with the exorcism. So the priest themselves doesn't need the direct consent of the person, but we have to ask ourselves, does this person want to be liberated? Or do they enjoy being possessed? Some people actually do. And a lot of us would think, why would somebody enjoy being possessed? That's gotta be horrible. No, if there's complicity, meaning the person allowed it to happen directly, meaning the person is aware that they want, the, that they've asked for help from double forces, from demonic forces. Do people actually do this? Yes, they do. Can the priest actually still perform the rite of exorcism? Can the exorcist do that? Sure he can. How effective will it be? Well, if the person's very happily possessed, it's not going to be effective at all. We need to make sure that the person wants this to happen. It's kind of like saying this happens all the time. Somebody's hooked on drugs, and a lot of times their family members will bring them to me or say, "Dr. Sandoval, you got to talk to this person. You got to convince them that they can't do drugs." First thing I'm going to do is, you know, say like they bring them to the clinic. I'm going to turn to the person and say, "Do you want to quit using drugs? Do you want to be sober?" If they say no, I say there's nothing I can do. You know, you can try to put them in a sobriety program, say against their will, and they sober up. They might be happy and they might say, wow, thank you so much. But a lot of the time they're going to say, I didn't want to be sober. Why'd you do that? And they're going to go right back to the drugs. That's one of the first things we need to consider. And that can be very painful to consider as a family member or as a friend. What do you mean you don't want to remove the influence of the devil from your life? There's some people who want that. There's some people who say, I enjoy my life the way it is. I'm happy with it. In fact, If you talk to exorcists, i will tell you that there is such a thing as perfect possession, meaning that the person is completely complicit with the state of being demonically influenced, oppressed, obsessed, whatever it is, and are actually saying that they're looking forward to a life of eternal damnation. That's a state of despair by definition of the Catholic Church. They put their hope in the demonic. They put their dreams or hopes or desires and everything in the demonic. That's a state of despair. That's what it is. If you look it up, look up the definition of despair in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It has nothing to do with anxiety. has everything to do with not putting our hope in God. What do you put your hope on? If it's not in God, then we've got a problem, right? So there's another question here. Um, and here it is. In the formulas of exorcism, what is the difference between deprecative formulas and imperative formulas, right? So this is where we ask ourselves, if I can pray for this person, how can I pray for them? The deprecative formulas are exorcist prayers addressed to God which require the liberation of the affl- request the liberation of the afflicted person the imperative formulas are addressed directly to the inhabiting demonic spirit commanding it to depart in the name of Jesus Christ so that being the case which ones can we do as lay people can i do the imperative no i can only do deprecatory prayers meaning that i'm asking god i'm only talking to god i'm only talking to the forces of good i'm not talking to anybody else strictly to Jesus, strictly to God, just strictly to heaven saying, please help us here and remove these demonic forces. Only the exorcist, the bishop, whoever has the faculties of exorcism at that point can do the imperative prayers. And the imperative prayers are going to talk directly to the demons and tell them to be gone. So as lay people, you never want to get into that conversation with a demon. It just doesn't work. They're going to be on a whole different level as far as how they're going to talk, how they're going to influence us. And who am I going to trust with my spirituality? Well, why would I want to open that door? Why would I want that job? I want to talk to Jesus. I want to talk to our lady. I want to talk to God directly and say, hey, help me out here because I need your help to remove this. So that's a very important thing. If somebody is so afflicted that we say, gosh, they can't even get to an exorcist. They can't even get to church. I'm going to do my job here. I'm their friend. I'm going to go in there and help them out and save them. That's very common to do. But even the bishops tell us, hey, there's two different kinds of prayers don't get in there and think that you're going to pray for them and, and start talking to the demon themselves. That's going to be a whole heck of a lot of problems for you in your spiritual life, because now all of a sudden you're going to have the demons influencing you. You don't want that to happen. You want to get in there and pray and ask Kevin, ask God to please come in and help and to do that. All right. And it says, which would, when would each be used? It says the deprecative formulas and the imperative formulas are presented as sets in the right of the exorcism. With the deprecative formulas, remember deprecative, Asking God for help, always being used first. So even the exorcists themselves don't get in there and want to talk to this demonic uh, spirit. They don't want to have anything to do with them. In fact, why would I believe anything they tell me when all they're going to do is lie and deceive, right? The first thing the priest does is they do the deprecative form. They start asking God. They start asking heaven to come in and take care of business. And this is the exorcists themselves. I know a lot of lay people who really feel like, oh, they really want to, to do this that comes more from an area of insecurity. Maybe the person's feeling um, very low self-esteem and they need something in their life to make them feel important. So a lot of times people will get into uh, these ministries because their lives aren't doing really well and they they need something to make them feel useful or important. And boy, how powerful it is to think, I get to defeat the demons. When the reality is, if you really want to defeat the demons, the first thing that's going to be is not being part of anything. It's going to be humility. It's going to be, I'm so far away from that, Lord, I'm nothing in your eyes. I'm just going to go pray in the back of the church and repent for my sins. Starting by doing that, I'm going to go to confession and repent for my sins. You are blasting away demons in such a large square area there in such a a large, you probably, you know, picture like the whole diocese, all the demons are going away because one person has that much faith. It can happen. It can happen. But a lot of people don't see it that way. We feel like we need to do something. The reality is the more simple, the better. Okay. Let's see what else it says here. Um, so, remember, the deprecative formula is always used first with the option of using the imperative formula. And that's for whoever has the faculties. The de- deprecative formulas may be used without the imperative formulas, but the opposite is not permitted. And we talked about that. So, deprecative, anybody can use them, lay people can use them. Imperative, strictly the exorcist or whoever has that uh, faculty. So, <clears throat> let's see here. There was another question that was very important. Oh, this one's very, very important. Extremely important. And I'm glad the bishops addressed this. Are exorcisms the same everywhere or are, they regional and, are there regional and cultural differences? This is really important to consider. This is what they say. The rite of exorcism are to be celebrated consistently. Notice celebrated, right? Is, is a celebratory fashion. We have to come in there with joy. A lot of people go into exorcisms thinking spooky, scary. We have to go in there with joy with the idea that God is going to take care of us and we're going to remove demonic forces, right? The rights are not to be altered at the discretion of the exorcist beyond the options clearly stated in the official text. However, before proceeding to use with the right, it is helpful for the exorcist to be aware of any cultural differences and regional influences that may have impacted the current state of the person. In other words, the prayers are the same everywhere. Any, you go, Anywhere you go in the world, God is going to work the same because we are one people under God's eyes. We're one humanity. So the prayers don't need to change at all. What can change? Well, the exorcist can ask, what culturally is going on in this place? Well, folks, coming to the end of the hour here, it was. I think this is a wonderful article. I think if you want to go look on it, I'm going to put the link there. It's on the Catholic uh, the united states conference of catholic bishops they address the idea of exorcisms directly they have some great questions with very short precise straightforward answers that anybody can understand And i think that this is such an important thing to consider because in our world sometimes we think these things are not that big a deal uh, a lot of priests don't believe it bishops don't believe it but here the bishops are telling us exorcisms are real and it's going to help us pick up